Hello, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Stories Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, When She Was Bad. We'll cover how the key plot points here, despite all the action, are emotional ones for Buffy, and why Giles can hang out with a group of students all the time and not have it be creepy. Also, I love the way this episode foreshadows the whole of Season 2 and some aspects of later in the season but you'll need to stay tuned to the spoiler section for that. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. When She Was Bad was written and directed by Joss Whedon. In our opening conflict, we start in the graveyard, but not with Buffy. Xander and Willow are walking. They are playing a movie game where one says a line from a movie and the other tries to guess what it's from. Willow uses a line from my favorite movie of all time, The Terminator. She uses the quote, in that short time we had, we loved a lifetime's worth. Xander guesses it fairly quickly, and after that, the lines get easier and easier, and we can tell the two are bored. They've played this game a lot, and Xander in particular is talking about how the summer is dull. Willow teases him about he's so eager for school to start, just because Buffy will be back. When they can't think of any more movie lines, Xander, who is holding a vanilla ice cream cone, dabs ice cream on Willow's nose and uses a line from the movie Witness. Willow laughs, and the two have a moment where they almost kiss. And I found this very believable, even though before this, we didn't see any... Uh, we didn't get any sense that Xander reciprocated Willow's feelings for him. It's just this really nice moment with the two of them. So, of course, we see a vampire behind them. And at 3 minutes, 39 seconds into the episode, Buffy slays the vampire. And we cut to credits. I had to think about what the story spark or inciting incident is for this episode. Usually that spark comes right around 10% through a book or movie or television episode, and it is what sets our main conflict in motion. Here, a number of things happen right around that time. It could be Buffy slaying that vampire, but that doesn't or isn't something that is out of the ordinary for Buffy. That could set off any episode. So I don't think that that's it. She and Xander and Willow walk in the cemetery. It is uh, very symbolic as Buffy is walking between the two of them. She asks if they had any fun without her, and Xander says no, and Willow says yes. 
it is a little bit heartbreaking for Willow because we can already see where this is going to go in terms of her and Xander, though she is clearly happy to have Buffy back. At about five minutes in, they tell Buffy that there have been no monsters all summer, which explains for me why they were just so casually walking in the graveyard. They were less worried. Everything seemed fine since the death of the master. The first vampire was just now, and Buffy says, like they knew I was coming back. I see this as the inciting incident because the entire episode will track Buffy's reaction to having killed the master and having died herself and to her fear that in fact evil continues and the master will return. You could also see the spark as the moment when Willow and Xander tell Buffy that they buried the master near the trees while she was gone. And she looks extremely disturbed about this idea. And that too could drive her behavior. Willow and Xander ask if Buffy has seen Giles. And she says, no, why would she do that? She'll see him at school. And this really gives us our sense that something is not quite right with Buffy. I feel like I already knew that based on the way she's been acting, but I'm not sure I picked that up the first time around when I watched the show. Now I know what's coming, so it's easier to spot things that seem just a little off. We switch to Buffy's parents, Joyce and Hank. Buffy has spent the summer with her father. He is helping unpack her suitcases, which are full of new clothes and shoes. And Joyce and Hank bicker a little bit. Hank says Buffy didn't act out over the summer, but she was distant and there was no connection. And at least when she was burning things down, he knew what to say to her. About that lack of connection, Joyce says, thus the shoes. And he says he might have overcompensated a bit. Joyce also says when Hank tells her it was as if Buffy was there but not really there, she says, welcome to my world. And she just hopes that Buffy makes it through the school year. I liked these moments with Joyce and Hank together. It gave a sense of what happened uh, since the divorce, kind of what their relationship is like. You definitely have that tension there, but you do have that joint concern for their daughter. Back at school, we get our first glimpse of Cordelia. She's with her friends saying, it was a nightmare. And we think maybe she's talking about the master and the vampires, but no, she's talking about her terrible summer because her parents promised to take her to Tuscany, or they did take her to Tuscany after promising they'd take her to St. Croix. I like this because, well, one, I like the humor of, of that nightmare and then Cordelia, you know, Cordelia's idea of a nightmare, very different from Buffy's, but it also highlights some of the socioeconomic differences here. Xander and Willow are struggling to find something to do and making up games and playing rock, paper, scissors, walking through the cemetery, and Cordelia is being taken all over the globe for lovely vacations and complaining about it not being quite to her liking. I love 
a quote we get from Cordelia. She says, I think that kind of adversity builds character. And then I thought, I already have a lot of character. Is it possible to have too much character? I like this so much because it also could just encompass the theme of the entire show. Cordelia is talking about a very minor inconvenience, but it is a very real question that most of us feel, even if we don't articulate it, when we are facing loss and trauma. Certainly it's something that could apply directly to Buffy. We then get Mr. Snyder talking to Giles, and Snyder is saying basically how wonderful the campus was the day before when it was empty, and now there are students swarming everywhere like locusts bent on feeding and mating. I love that Giles suggests perhaps Mr. Snyder is in the wrong career given his abhorrence of children. This contrast between the two is so much fun. Giles' reference to the high school students as children, it's the first of a couple times they will have this conversation talking about kids and children. And I feel like this is a lot of why we can have Giles hanging out so much in the library with three high school students. At this point, I think they're in their junior year, but he, when the show started, I think it was Buffy's sophomore year. In other circumstances, that would just be so strange. It's not strange for us as the audience because we know the context, but the reason I feel like it works so well without there being un- anything uncomfortable about it is Giles always views these young people as children, as students. And I never have the sense, even as they age, that Giles ever even considers crossing any sort of line with any of them. And I feel like a large part of why that works is the language of the show. It's also obviously the writing and the directing and how the actors play it. But we do repeatedly have Giles seeing them as students, as children. Snyder is commenting about how every time a pretty girl walks by, every boy turns into a gibbering fool. And we see Miss Calendar walk up and Giles stumbles and stutters over his words. And they agree to go together to the teacher's lounge, leaving Mr. Snyder, who has been, uh, hasn't realized that Giles fell behind him, going on about how terrible this is and that he might as well be talking to himself. In the hallway, Jenny is telling Giles about Burning Man and how great her summer was and he should have been there. He would have. And then she says, hated it. And they joke around about books and flirt a little bit. We then see Willow, Buffy, and Xander. They encounter Giles and comment about being surprised at all the vampires still around. And Giles says the Hellmouth still has mystical energy even though it closed. Buffy says she's ready to start training, and we see this training montage. It is so intense. Buffy is training so hard, hitting so fast, and and flashing onto the master's face. She finally knocks over the training equipment, and she says, I'm ready. Whatever they got coming next, I'm ready. Giles is clearly worried about her. 
about 11 minutes in, we get the first scene with vampires and they seem to have a new leader. I just have down scary vamp leader because he's so intense and he is saying, uh, speaking almost in not quite rhymes, but a very rhythmic sort of poetic cadence that sounds like prophecies or scriptures. And he says something about, but despair is for the living and that in three days, a new hope will arise and that he will show them the way. This could be the one quarter turn of the episode because now as the audience, we know something new is happening, but I don't think that it is because this has been going on in the background regardless. What we do have for Buffy as she approaches the one quarter mark of the episode is her sitting in school in this nice little seating area, which by the way, my high school had nothing like this where they're always just sitting on couches and hanging out. We had like five minute passing periods between classes and sometimes had to really run to get there in time. Anyway, Buffy is in the seating area and Xander and Willow are with her and they're talking about dreams. Willow starts to talk about a dream she had about Xander and quickly backpedals. Giles comes up and says he knows what's happening and he seems very concerned. And Buffy says, trust me, you know, we'll handle it. And at 13 minutes in, so very close, maybe just a little past a quarter way through this episode, Giles says, I killed you once. It shouldn't be too difficult to do it again. And here is where it hits me as a viewer that this is Buffy's dream. Xander and Willow are looking on as Giles attacks Buffy. They fight. Buffy's friends don't try to help her. They don't even look upset. And she pulls off Giles' face, and underneath is the master. I see this as the first major plot point and the turn in the story that spins it in a new direction because this is what really drives Buffy from this moment to the midpoint. This feeling, this sense, we'll call it a slayer sense, her slayer sense, that the master still poses a threat and also that that is somehow tied up with Giles. And we'll see later how angry she is that she feels Giles didn't tell her what she needed to know. When she wakes up, Angel is sitting in her bedroom window, which is uh, is open. She acts like she doesn't care that he's there. And she's very sarcastic with him, asking if it's a social call. And he says no. And she says, I guess that means grave danger. And she makes a joke about his some of his relatives are in town and for a barbecue. And uh, Buffy and her friends are all on the menu. Angel tells her the anointed one is gathering forces. He doesn't know why, but he warns her not to underestimate him because he's a child. Buffy acts like she'll handle it. It's no big deal. She doesn't care that he's there and she wants to go back to sleep. He says he missed her. She turns and says she missed him, but he's already gone. In the morning, Joyce drives Buffy to school, asks her about her classes, can tell something is wrong. And in another great quote of the episode, Joyce says, Is there the slightest chance that if I asked you what was wrong, you would tell me? Of course not. It would take the fun out of guessing. 
At school, Willow, Xander, and Buffy are talking near their lockers. Cordelia comes up and says, oh, look, it's the Three Musketeers. Willow explains to Cordelia that that's really not an insult, that the Three Musketeers were cool. Cordelia says she sees their point, and then she excitedly asks if they fought any demons. And they try to cover and explain to her that they have to keep it quiet, that Buffy's the slayer and all the things that go on. And within the that Buffy insults Cordelia and sort of insults Willow and Xander or at least looks very irritated with them. It ends with Cordelia saying she will keep Buffy's secret and Buffy says something like, you know, that's great. Uh, Cordelia won't tell anyone that she's the slayer and she won't tell anyone that Cordelia is a moron. Willow and Xander are a bit surprised at this outburst, and at the bronze, the two of them are talking, and Willow says there's something wrong with Buffy. She's different. Xander says Buffy's always been different, but Willow says she's never been mean. I like that Willow picks up on this difference. I also like that while we have seen that Buffy, or or we've been told through dialogue at least, that Buffy used to be more like Cordelia. She was one of the popular girls. She was the prom queen. We get a sense that Buffy probably never was mean, even before she became the slayer and became so isolated herself. Xander isn't really paying much attention to Willow, and she puts a little bit of ice cream on her nose, clearly hoping to remind him of that moment when they almost kissed. And he just doesn't pick up on it at all. He glances at her and says, oh, you've got something on your nose. And I felt so sad for Willow in that moment. We switch to the graveyard where the vampires are digging up a grave and the leader is uh, pushing them to dig more, including uh, telling them to dig with their hands if they have no shovel. And that burns the vampire's hands because it is consecrated dirt. Back at the bronze, uh, I should have mentioned we have live music. This is part of what I think gives the bronze so much energy that there is a different band every week. I think the bronze would be a, a great place, other than the high death rate, to have in any town. And I love that the high school students can hang out there so long as they aren't drinking. Buffy walks into the bronze. We see her shoes first, which I think is is just a nice little callback to Hank unpacking that suitcase with all the brand new shoes. And then the camera goes up to her legs. We see that she is wearing this very sexy dress. Angel sees her. He says he thinks he made her angry and it bothers him. Uh, She says she's not angry. She doesn't know where that's coming from and tells him to get over himself. She didn't moon over him all summer. She moved on to the living. We see Cordelia watching this interaction. Buffy goes over to Xander and asks him to dance. And he says, okay, seeming very hesitant. Buffy then dances with him. We we have seen her dance with her friends before. I'm, I'm pretty sure before this. I know we will later in the series. And it's always fun. And we don't see her dance with Xander any differently than when she and Willow are dancing or when the three of them are dancing together. This is different. She's very close to Xander. She's swaying. She's pressing against him. We close up on Willow looking on, seeming very hurt. 
And right around 23 minutes in, Buffy whispers to Xander, asking if she ever thanked him for saving her life, and doesn't he wish she would? She then walks away, grabs her purse from the table, which is right in front of Willow, and just walks away without saying anything to Willow, nothing to Angel, and goes outside. I see this as Buffy's throwing caution to to the wind at the midpoint of the episode. She is going all in, not on a quest to defeat the master, but on almost an emotional quest of denial to simply not deal with her feelings about having died, having faced the master, her fears, and on a deeper level about being the slayer and what that means for her life. It's throwing caution to the wind because she is alienating her friends. She already feels isolated, and now she is pushing away everybody who is close to her who offers her support. We then get a scene where I really start to love Cordelia. I already admire her at different points in season one and in this episode, but I like this so much. She follows Buffy out and she says uh, in a three lines of dialogue here between Buffy and Cordelia that I think are great quotes. Cordelia says, you're really campaigning for bitch of the year, aren't you? And Buffy says, as defending champion, you nervous? Cordelia says, I can hold my own. But she goes on to say she and Buffy aren't really friends, but since Buffy has saved the world on occasion, she'll give her some advice, which is to get over it, deal with whatever her issues are, and move on because pretty soon Buffy won't even have the loser friend she has. In typical Cordelia fashion, we get a little bit of an insult wrapped into the advice, but it is really good advice. And I really love her response when Buffy says it's time for Cordelia to mind her own business. Cordelia doesn't get offended. She just says it's long past. She said what she had to say, and she turns back toward the bronze, but she can't resist one last little dig. Maybe she'll see if Angel feels like dancing. And this is fun because not only is she getting in a dig, I believe Cordelia's plan is to do that. If you remember in season one, when she first saw Angel, she had no idea he was connected to Buffy and she was going to go up and talk to him because she found him so attractive. However, Cordelia never makes it into the bronze because someone grabs her from behind. Buffy doesn't see it. She's already heading out. We follow Cordelia. She is thrown into a dark basement. Someone else is lying there on the floor, knocked out. It's Miss Calendar. In the meantime, Buffy is walking through the graveyard, and she sees that the master's grave is empty. We switch to school the next day, and Willow is saying to Giles that Buffy's possessed. Xander says, uh, aren't they overlooking that she may be attracted to him? And they all agree, no. She's possessed, or there's something wrong with her. And and Giles points out that she might not be possessed. The answer might be more ordinary. She may have what you Americans refer to as issues, he says, and points out that technically Buffy died and that she had convinced herself that she was invulnerable, and, and now she knows that she's not. 
He doesn't realize that Buffy is walking up behind them. Xander uh, sort of tries to cover by saying they're talking about Trout. And Buffy is quite angry that there is a vacancy in the graveyard where the master was buried. Giles says something about um, he didn't know of any revivification ritual that was successful. And Buffy says, but you've heard of them, something he didn't mention to her. She's rude to Xander and Willow when they try to chime in and talk about how they buried the master and went through a ritual. She says this is slayer work, you know, it's not for them. And this, too, is a different thing for Buffy. Yes, in the very first episode, our pilot, she pushed back against the idea that they could help, saying, you know, it was her job, not theirs. But since then, she has mostly appreciated having their support and has turned to them on occasions, on many occasions. So now she is pushing back and trying to shut them out. Mr. Snyder interrupts. And they go back to class. Snyder tells Giles that he smells trouble, and it's Buffy. Um, He smells trouble, expulsion, and the faintest aroma of jail. He also finds it weird that Giles has faith in these kids. So we have another reference to them as kids or children. And he shakes his head at uh, what he sees as Giles' naivete. In the library, we see Giles um, telling our friends about the ritual and that they need the master's bones and the blood of someone close to or connected to the master. Buffy says, it's her. She killed him. You can't get more connected or closer than that. About 29 minutes in, a rock is thrown through the window, comes crashing through, and Cordelia's watch is wrapped around it. There's a note telling Buffy to come to the bronze. Willow and Xander argue with Buffy, who's just going to head off to the bronze in response to the note. And Willow says, what about the rest of the note where it says it's a trap? Of course, that's not written there, but it might as well be, as Willow points out. And Buffy says she can handle it. This is my fight. In our next scene, Buffy is heading for the bronze, and Angel appears. And he says, um, well, first, she says to him, because he takes her by surprise, she says, you know being stalked isn't really a big turn-on for girls. That is one of my favorite quotes, not just of the episode, but of the whole series. But Angel says she needs help, and Buffy says she doesn't trust him He's a vampire. She's, again, very sarcastic about it. I feel like Buffy's sarcastic tone throughout the episode tells us so much about how afraid she is. Because while Buffy has always been, um, she jokes, she quips, she has a sort of dry sense of humor, she isn't usually sarcastic with anyone. In fact, there was that wonderful quote where she told Giles he was abusing sarcasm. So we see that Buffy is using this to try to keep everyone at a distance and to keep her own feelings at a distance. Angel tells her she has to trust someone, and she says, I trust me. He says she's not as strong as she thinks. And she's saying, hey, come on, let's fight. You must have thought about it. You're a vampire. I'm the slayer. What would happen if we fought? But he refuses and reminds her that she has somewhere else to be. 
We then get to the third major plot point, which generally is around three quarters into the episode and spins it yet again in a new direction. Here, as it should, it arises from Buffy's actions at the midpoint. And I say that because it's from Buffy's emotional, um, her emotional midpoint where she threw caution to the wind and really just gave in to, maybe gave in is the wrong word, but she really embraced her fear and her denial of what was happening by that dance with Xander and coming on to him despite that she knew how much that would hurt Willow's feelings and that she knew it would ultimately hurt Xander. But she is so afraid and in maybe so much so much pain and turmoil that she did this. That has driven her forward. So now she was headed off to the bronze without her friends, leaving them unprotected, which sets the stage for this plot turn. Giles, again in the library, figures out through the translation that he is finishing that closest to the master means physically closest, the nearest, those who were with him when he died. And he says, it's a trap. It just isn't for her. And that comes at 32 minutes, 55 seconds in. So right around that three-quarter mark through the story. In the bronze, Buffy finds a vampire who at first looks like Cordelia, but she realizes very quickly it's not. No one else is there. Buffy then figures out that they did set this up, not to trap her, but to leave her friends vulnerable. She leaves Angel with the vampire, telling him not to kill her unless he has to. Runs back to the library, finds things, just a mess, everything knocked over. Xander is still there. He's injured. Giles and Willow have been taken. And Xander tells her he doesn't know what her problem is. He doesn't care. If she had worked with them for five seconds, she could have stopped this. And he says, if they hurt Willow, I'll kill you. And he explains to her that they need whoever was near the master when he died. And this made me realize this is why in the season finale of season one, remember how Angel and Xander were posted outside the library to kind of keep watch and stand guard. And now I think, okay, the writers did that because they wanted to set this up, that it was Giles, Willow, Jenny Callender and Cordelia, who would be at risk in this episode. Back at the bronze, Buffy tortures the vampire. She's trying to get her to talk, and the vampire says, well, what are you going to do, kill me? And Buffy says, yes, but the question is, what do we do until then? And she's putting the cross, her cross that Angel gave her, into the vampire's mouth, and it's smoking, and finally um, the vampire tells her where everyone is. We switch to this old warehouse. The anointed one is there. He gives this small box to the vampire leader. We see that Cordelia, Jenny, Giles, and Willow have been hung upside down by their feet, and they are reeled out on a pulley system to hang over the master's bones, which are on a table. The leader is reciting more um, poems or prayers of resurrection. So it's, it's this ritual ongoing. Xander, Buffy, and Angel sneak in. She tells the two of them to get the others out 
Angel says, well, you need to distract the vampires. And in a great quote, Buffy says, I'm going to kill them all. That ought to distract them. We see the vampires performing the ritual from behind. One of the vampires, as he's answering the leader's chant, is dusted. And we see Buffy there. There is a huge fight. The anointed one climbs up and out of the way and watches. Angel and Xander wheel our four friends on the pulleys away from the fight and get them down. Buffy kills multiple vampires. Um, Angel fights a vampire. Jenny and Giles wake up. And Giles says, where's Buffy? And Xander says she's working out her issues. The leader confronts Buffy. He's giving this monologue about how he'll grind her into a sticky paste and hear her bag. He lunges at her with a mallet. She grabs this torch. Who knows why vampires have torches around, but I feel like that is the show's call out or shout out to vampire lore. She takes this torch and turns it sideways. With one end, she stakes one vampire heading toward her. With the uh, other end, she sets the leader on fire and his mallet drops. He's gone. Willow, who has been watching, says it's over. And Xander says it's not. Buffy picks up the mallet and smashes the master's bones with it, one after the other, over and over. And I always tear up at this. I think it's because that symbolism of her really trying to smash death, trying to kill her vulnerability. And then with her hand to her face, she cries. An angel goes behind her and holds her and tells her very quietly, it's okay, it's okay. I am pretty sure I didn't even hear him saying that the um, any of the other times I watched because it's very quiet in the background. And I think you have to have earbuds on to hear it or maybe a really good speaker. And the others look on. Now we are at the falling action at 41 minutes, 30 seconds in. And this is where we tie up the loose ends of the episode. So I guess I skipped right over, uh, it's obvious, the climax was Buffy's confrontation with that leader and smashing the master's bones. That is the catharsis that Buffy needed. So I don't think that it was the fight itself. It was getting rid of that leader, all the vampires, but more important, smashing the master's bones. We see it's a sunny day. Cordelia and Jenny are walking across the lawn, and Cordelia says, what an ordeal that was. The worst part is it stays with you forever. And then she says, none of that blood and rust ever comes out of your clothes no matter what they tell you. This is such a nice bookend to Cordelia's part in the episode because we started with her talking about a nightmare that turns out to be about vacation. Now she's talking about an ordeal that turns out to be uh, the trauma to her. The lasting trauma is her clothes um, and the dry cleaner not being able to fix it. And Jenny says, yes, of course, that is the worst part. Something I I never noticed before, I always thought of these types of lines from Cordelia really being there for humor. I also think this is why Cordelia can cope with things. The fact that she frames the experience this way leaves her with less trauma than probably Jenny suffers or Willow or Giles. Obviously, this is not a realistic show when it comes to how people deal with trauma. If 
you know, if someone went through that kind of experience, it would have such a lasting effect. And yet we have our main characters going through these things all the time. But in the world of the show, where these types of experiences, rather than being once in a lifetime, just happen on an ongoing basis, I do see Cordelia being able to almost trivialize it for her being a strength. We then see Buffy and Giles, and she is saying she doesn't know how she can face her friends. She really feels the weight of having run off because she wasn't dealing with her emotions and having left them vulnerable. She says, what is she going to say to them? Sorry, I almost got your throat slit and got you killed on the first day of school. Giles tries to comfort her, but maybe doesn't do such a great job because he says it's hardly the worst mistake she'll ever make. And then he says, oh, that wasn't as comforting as he meant it to be. I love that interchange because it is a very real thing. Anyone who is not just young, but new at whatever their profession is or their pursuits is going to make mistakes. And sometimes that is exactly true. It feels horrible. And it's not the worst mistake you'll ever make. So there is comfort in that, and then there's not. But I feel like Giles is pointing out, like, yeah, you you can make mistakes too, and your friends are going to understand. Buffy isn't convinced. She goes to class. We see her hesitating in the doorway. There's an empty seat next to Xander and Willow, who are joking around. They look up, and I think it's Willow says, you know, we saved you a seat. Buffy sits down, her body language still tells us she's a little hesitant. She's holding back a bit, waiting to see what her friends will say. Xander and Willow make a joke about the teacher. They talk about what they'll do tonight. And Xander says, well, we could grind our enemies into talcum powder with a sledgehammer, but gosh, we did that last night. And Willow gives Buffy just the best smile, kind of a a little wicked grin, telling Buffy it is okay. And Buffy smiles back, and they all start to talk. And this part always makes me tear up as well, because these friends are just so amazing for Buffy. We would think that is the end of the falling action. We have seen all of Buffy's part of the story wind up. But we are back to the warehouse, so we are going to wrap up that as well. And I had sort of the first time around forgotten that the anointed one had gotten away from the fight. So he was not one of the ones who was killed. We see him standing in the warehouse, some fragments of the master's bones around him. And he says, I hate that girl. And we close the episode. Such a nice way to end because while we wrap up the story, we also add that little hook, that little question of, yes, the anointed one is still here. And what is he going to do? That covers the plot points and the other elements of this episode itself. There is a ton of foreshadowing in there for the rest of the season, so I hope you'll stay tuned for the spoiler section. If you'd like to connect or send me your thoughts about Buffy or the podcast, you can tweet me 
at Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story. You can email me, Lisa at LisaLilly.com. You can also find my fiction, including mysteries and supernatural thrillers, at LisaLilly.com. Or visit WritingAsASecondCareer.com for articles on writing, time management, and publishing. If you're not sticking around for the spoilers, thank you so much for listening. And we're back to talk about spoilers. We get them from the very start of the episode, or rather, we don't get spoilers. We get foreshadowing from the very start of the episode with Willow quoting that line from Terminator that in the short time we had, we loved a lifetime's worth. If somehow you have not seen Terminator, I'm about to spoil part of it. So I'll give you a second if you want to fast forward um, or you've changed your mind about spoilers, but I hope not. In that movie, we have Kyle Reese come back in time to protect our protagonist, who becomes uh, quite fierce herself, Sarah Connor. And the two of them fall for each other in the midst of all of this action going on. And they have one night together, and that is it forever. So that is her quote. And this so foreshadows not just this season, but the entire Buffy and Angel romance and relationship, because this season they will have that one night together, and then everything goes horribly wrong. Angel turns on her, turns into Angelus, and becomes the villain of the season. And while later down the road, he does become Angel again, they never, never are able to make that relationship work. So it is such a great line to put in the beginning of this episode, uh, starting episode of season two, where our main arc is what happens with Buffy and Angel and her having to fight him. The moment where Joyce says, welcome to my world, and she just hopes Buffy makes it through the school year, I never noticed this before. And it struck me because I didn't realize how we we started getting the reader ready or the audience member ready in that first episode for the end where Buffy is kicked out of school. And we get Snyder also foreshadowing this when he is saying he smells trouble, expulsion, and the faintest aroma of jail. And all these things are coming, not literally jail, but Buffy does get expelled. And after Kendra is killed, Buffy is the main suspect for some time. And even though Snyder knows that she didn't do it, he tells her, you know, the, the police will will not care. They will come after her. We get a great quote from him in that episode, and I think it is the finale. It might be the episode right before that, but Buffy is saying, you know, the police will figure it out. And he says something like, the police in this town are deeply stupid. So we get all of this foreshadowed in this line from Snyder. 
And that reference to jail, that reference to law enforcement, foreshadows that we will see the police in this season of Buffy. We will get a greater sense of who the police are, um, maybe what role they play in Sunnydale. I remember when my oldest niece started watching Buffy, at one point she texted me and said, okay, I, you know, I like this show, but there's all this stuff going on. Like, where are the police? And I said, wait, they're coming. You know, you, you will get to learn more about them. Not that the police are a huge part of the story arc, but they are pretty key this season, especially when they are thinking that Buffy committed murder. Um, and actually more than once in the series, that is when the police will be um, a main part of the story when it looks like Buffy has committed murder. We also have major foreshadowing of the Buffy and Angel arc in the interplay between the two of them. This is the foreshadowing that I remember striking me when I rewatched the series for the first time on the DVDs because um, I had obviously had seen the whole series already and I watched this first episode. And when Buffy and Angel are talking on her way to the bronze and she says, you know, you must have thought of it. You're a vampire. I'm a slayer. What would happen if if we fought? Who would win? And I, I thought, oh, right there in the first episode is what is going to happen in the last episode, Buffy fighting Angel and having to fight to the death. So we are putting that right out front, but in a way that doesn't doesn't tell the audience that, in fact, that will happen. Because right now, we have no reason to believe that Angel would be trying to kill Buffy. Also, the reason that the scene doesn't give that away is because there is such a good reason for Buffy to say this. Through the whole episode, she has been grappling with her role as a slayer, the fact that a powerful vampire killed her. And remember, it was an angel who was able to bring her back to life. It was Xander, a human being. She has every reason on an emotional level to equate her fear of death, her fear of the master, her feelings about being the slayer with Angel, who is a vampire. So we think it is coming, we know it is coming from there, but that masks that it is a real fear. It turns out this is a well-founded fear. She has every reason, it turns out, totally aside from the emotional issues she's dealing with, to have this concern. What would happen if she and Angel had to fight each other? We also get a little more foreshadowing there of a key moment in the season finale. And this I didn't pick up on until I watched it this time when he is telling her, you have to trust someone. And she says, I trust me. This foreshadows that moment in the finale when they are fighting and Angela says to her, you know, he's got the sword almost at her throat, I think, and he's saying, everything's stripped away. What do you have left? No friends, you know, no family. What's left? And we think he's going to kill her. And she says, me. And claps that sword. He's thrusting the sword in. She claps her hands around it and stops it. And this strength that Buffy has inside herself is key to that season finale and also so heartbreaking. I love the way this 
season pilot episode foreshadows all of that. And it encapsulates a conflict that will continue, not just for this season, but for the series, between Buffy as the Slayer, her role being defined as being the only one in all the world and being isolated, and yet her breaking with tradition and having close family ties, caring about her mother, um, having these close friends who do get into the fight with her, and that struggle that she has with, is it harder to protect them? Could she fight better all on her own? Can they help her? And their struggle with their role, both as friends, you know, are they um, just like sidekicks? Willow will struggle with that. And their feelings about wanting to be part of the fight, needing to be part of it, and also with that they do make very real contributions that sometimes Buffy overlooks. So we have that great line in season four where she says, you know, there's no, I guess that's why there's no prophecy about the Slayer and her friends. So we will see this conflict come up again. Does it work to have the Slayer and her friends? Ultimately, I think the show says yes. But it's a, it's a difficult balance, that balance between she has to have all this strength in herself and she also has strength because she has these close relationships. So that is it for episode one of season two. I am so happy to have been able to share this with you. This is one of my favorite episodes and it is my favorite season opener of all the Buffy seasons. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next Monday. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2020. 